you just keep singing the whole time, right? That was awesome. Thank you guys very much. I appreciate it. It's great to be here with you today. As Trey already let the cat out of the bag, now my, my name is Patrick Johnson. Um, I grew up right outside of Jackson, Mississippi. Everybody familiar with Jackson? I raised my four kids in Tupelo, Mississippi, which is right up the road. I used to drive the Natchez Trace to come to Nashville. That's a beautiful drive in between Tupelo and Nashville. And just have many fond memories. About six years ago, we left the South and we went to Kansas City. So I'm a Chiefs fan. Go Chiefs? No, not so much here, right? <laughs> Y'all put a whooping on us the other day, big time. But, you know, it's, uh, I've lived six years in Kansas City, but I come down to the South and it sort of feels like I'm among my people. There's something, you know, we have, we have Midwestern nice. You've heard of Midwestern nice. People in the Midwest are nice, but there's something about people in the South that are just really nice and really hospitable. And I've known this church for about five years now. I first met Rick Sane about five years ago. And as I've gotten to know so many people in this church, as I come back from the Midwest here, it's just so great to be among friends. You know, another thing too is you don't make fun of my accent like other parts of the world when I travel. They all make, they think I talk funny. Do y'all think I talk funny? No, I talk like y'all, right? It's the way it should be. We talk right, okay? My journey a little bit is for the last 18 years, I've been promoting this idea of biblical generosity among the church. First of all, here in the U.S., now around the globe. And I think I really have a calling from God uh, to do that. That's how I met Rick. It's how I met Will and Jenny and Tony and Judy and Mac and Trey and others among you, was we started to explore this idea of what does a generous people really look like? What does a generous church look like? And I've been exploring that for 18 years, both here in the United States and around the world. And, you know, we're not perfect, are we? Right? We come to faith in Jesus. We still are broken people. Healed by his wounds, wrapped in his righteousness, right? It's the grace and love of God. So as we try to talk about this idea of generosity, let's enter into it knowing that we're always going to fall short. Like every part of our spiritual life, it's always a lifelong process. I think sometimes in the church, when we say the word generosity, we have all of these different myriads of ideas and, and things that we think about. But over the last five weeks in this others greater, or we greater than me, we've been trying to unpack what's a new way to look at generosity? What's a new approach to this? And that's what Trey and others have been leading you through over the last five weeks. How do we look at this differently? And that's what I want to do this morning. I asked at the end of this, I said, let me come and preach the final week. I want to talk about whole life generosity. And basically, I just want to put a, a cherry on the top of this. I want to weave it all together. And hopefully, as we enter into a new series next week, this will be something that we'll remember, that God will work through us in this. So this is the last week. And I'm, you know, if you look at what we've done over the last five weeks, I watched all of Trey's sermons. By the way, Trey can sing. Did y'all know that? Man, he opened this thing up with singing. I was going like, I'm not going to sing from the stage. Do I have to do that? You don't want me to sing from the stage. But Trey is awesome. So uh, I want us to look at one more story. We've been looking at the, the stories of biblical characters who are practicing whole life generosity. And I want to take us back to one more story to sort of wrap this up. And the story is one that we really know. It's the first church. It's the 120 people that were in the upper room that the Spirit came the Spirit blew on those people. And in a short order of time, you saw thousands of people come to faith in Christ. And what did they do? They had to come together and form a community of believers. 
this was all new. This was not a synagogue with Jewish customs and rituals. This was a new way of life following Jesus, and they had to come together in a community and learn how to follow Jesus together. It was the first church. And what can we learn from them? So let me back up for a second. So secular historians, these are not Christian historians, these are early, early secular historians. They were trying to figure out why this small group of Jesus followers, 120 in the upper room, over 300 years had spread through the Roman Empire and really turned the Roman Empire upside down. And they were trying to figure out, like, why? Why did this happen? These people didn't have power. They didn't have prestige. They didn't have a lot of money or possessions. They were sort of the outcast of even the religious society back there, the Jewish society. They were the outcast of the Roman society. But yet, in 300 short years, they spread across the Roman Empire. And these historians were trying to figure out why. Why did this happen? We know one reason was the Holy Spirit, right? But they didn't know that. They were looking at what are the fruits of this group of people that made them spread so rapidly. And they came up with four things. The first thing they said is these people break down walls of separation. So men and women together, slave and free, Jew and Gentile. If you were part of the early church, it was a community where it was, they broke down walls of separation in their culture. And everybody was welcomed in if you were a follower of Jesus. They elevated the status of women in the Roman culture. They elevated the status of slaves in Roman cultures. They were a community that broke down the walls of separation and that was countercultural. The second thing that they noticed was is that they had a very high view of life from birth to death. Then in a Roman culture where you had the Colosseums and people were killed for sports, the Christians, they, they had such a high view of value of life and they would do all kinds of things to preserve life in a Roman culture that really celebrated death. So it was that high view of life was countercultural. The third thing is they were committed to sexual purity within the confines of marriage. In a promiscuous Roman culture, here was this group of people that said, we are going to be faithful to each other within marriage. And that was totally countercultural to the Romans. And then the fourth thing that these secular historians pointed out about these early Christians or that they were radically generous. In a Roman culture where it was all about me and greed and self-focus, you had these community of Jesus followers who didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a lot of power, didn't have a lot of prestige, but yet if you looked how they lived among each other and lived to the Roman culture around them, there was a radical generosity that turned the Roman Empire upside down. often wonder what it would have been like to walk among these early Jesus followers who didn't even have the canon of scripture, right? They had the apostles among them, but they didn't have the canon of scripture that we have today to read. They were learning how to follow Jesus in a totally new way. I wonder what it would have been like among them. Luke paints a beautiful picture of the early church in Acts 4, 32 through 36. This might be a passage that we all know. We put it up on the screen. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. I'm gonna read this off my phone. You know, as you get older, your, your eyes don't get as good as it used to be. Anybody else have that problem? Anybody, can I have an amen to that? So let's look at it up close. 
All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales. They put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So here in the book of Acts, we see what the secular historians were picking up on was here was a community of Jesus's followers that were committed to living generously. It's a beautiful picture of oneness, of sharing, that if you have a need, I'll meet that need. If I have a need, you'll meet my need. It was this beautiful picture of oneness and unity. And God's grace was a powerfully work among them all. There was an overflow of God's grace into this, which meant that people would sell houses and lands. They would sacrifice whatever was needed they were gonna be a witness to the power of God's grace in this community. I've been doing this for 18 years. And one of the things I've come to realize is that we often confuse in our modern context, what I believe is that we often confuse this type of biblical generosity we see with fundraising today. And when we talk about generosity within a church context in our modern church context, it's so easy to slip into, this is about budgets or campaigns our salaries. But I think it's so much richer and deeper than that. And I think that's what God wants to see, wants us to see as his church today by looking back at the story of the first church. So here's my question that I wanna explore this morning is how do we recapture the energy and the impact of the early church when it comes to our generosity today? How do we capture this energy and this impact of these early followers of Jesus so that we take this idea of whole life generosity and it's not just about meeting the budget, it's not just about tithing, it's not just about that, but how do we recapture the energy and the impact that we see in these early Christ followers? So let me tell you where we're gonna start. It's where you started this series. To recapture that energy, you start with who God is. It starts with God. Yeah, remember who the first person Trey talked about in this series when we opened it up. He talked about Jesus and the generosity of Christ and his healing and his raising people from the dead. And really, this conversation on generosity, I'll be in Egypt next month, I'll be in Ukraine in February, and I start it wherever I am around the globe. I always start it with this idea of who is God because this is so important. We've got to see how incredibly generous our God is. Last night we went out and we looked at the space station go across the sky. And I was sitting there looking at the stars. Have you ever just gone out and looked at the night sky and you see the billions of stars that God's put in the sky? You see the wonder of creation, the plants, the trees, the provision that God's given us. He is a generous God. Generosity is not just something that God does. It's who he is. Just like God loves, God is also love. It comes from God, it's who he is. 
You think about how God treated the Old Testament, his nation of Israel. They were stiff-necked people, right? They were always wandering away from God. And what did God do? Like a generous father, he brings them back and provides manna and water and forgiveness. He's a generous God. Scripture says that he makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good. He is a generous God. When Jesus came to to walk on the earth. This is God in the flesh. What was one of the hallmarks of Jesus's ministry? He fed the 5,000 with a couple of loaves of bread and some fish. He healed. He welcomed the outcast in. One of the hallmarks of Jesus's ministry was it was a, it was a ministry of generous love to the world around him. And then we have the greatest act of generosity. The reason that we sit in this room today, for God so loved the world that he what? gave. The pinnacle of God's generosity is found in a cross. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. God became flesh so that broken people like me and like you could come to faith in Christ, could have a relationship, Emmanuel, God with us. It's the pinnacle of generosity, it's an act of life sacrifice on the cross. And Jesus did it for us. And then think about today, let's bring it back today. Does God not meet all of your needs? When Jesus taught us to pray, did he not say, our Father, give us this day what? Our daily bread. Every piece of food we eat, the houses that we live in, the friends that we have, the families that we grew up in, all a generous gift from a generous God. And then here's the great thing. Think about what's to come. (laughs) One day, we will be in God's presence forever. We will have bodies that will have been redeemed. Can I get amen to that? We will be perfect. We will be exactly as we were created to be. And we will celebrate God's generosity in relationship with him and with each other for all eternity. God gives us himself for all eternity. Because he is a generous God. So this idea of generosity, it's not about budgets. It's not about campaigns. It's about who God is. And if you get that right, the more we get a clear vision and picture of God the more that everything else starts to fall into place in this conversation. So the idea and the source of true generosity is God himself. Generosity starts with God. So here's my question to us. It's what's been our view of God up to this moment? How do you view God? I don't know about y'all, but you know, sometimes my view of God can be tainted by my wounds. It can be tainted by my desires. It can be tainted by the mess in my life. But if we get above all of that and we go and we see who God says he is in scripture, he's your generous father. He's the father that runs off the porch when the prodigal comes home. And what does he do? He throws the feast. Our God is such a generous God. He is a generous father. He is a generous provider. And the more we come to believe that, you know what happens? Fear goes away, which is one of the biggest barriers to generosity, right? Fear. 
trust begins to elevate. But we've got to see that this God that we worship, the God while we're here together, is a generous God. Amen? So what does that mean for us? So generosity starts with God, but you know what? It flows through generous disciples. It flows through generous disciples. It starts with him, but it flows through us as disciples. That's why Trey has been talking about this idea of generosity. It's not about fundraising. It's about disciple-making. That's why he's been talking and showing you these characters like Lydia, like the disciples of Jesus, like David, and all of these biblical characters. They were followers of God. They were followers of Jesus, and they were generous, not perfect. I do this for a living, and I can tell you, I'm not perfect. It's hard. It's difficult. But they were committed that when God said, give, they had open hands, and they were willing to give, to sacrifice for God. What I want us to see is that a disciple is an intentional learner and imitator of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. If we were with Jesus and one of his disciples, we would have been a learner from Jesus and we would have been an imitator of Jesus. And it's a lifelong learner and imitator, right? The disciples took them a long time to get it right and they had to work their whole lives. So here's what I want us to realize is that Jesus was generous, and because we are created in the image of Jesus, we were created to be generous as well. When you came to faith in Christ, you were made new, and one of the parts of us being made new is that we become more like Christ. That's the whole goal of the Christian life, is to be more and more like Jesus, and a part of that being like Jesus is you are hardwired to be generous. You have been given the DNA of Jesus, And a part of the DNA of Jesus is generosity, whole life generosity. It's feeding the poor. It's welcoming the outcast. It's praying for people. It's being present with people. Just as he did it, if we would have been walking with him, we would have done it, just like he did it. And you have been hardwired. This is why I know this is true. When I'm greedy and self-focused, think about how that makes you feel. Because you weren't made for that. It may give you a short-term satisfaction, but when I walk through seasons of my life when it's all about me and my eyes are all fixed on me, I, I usually end up miserable because we weren't made to be like that. We are disciples who are made in the image of a, G, of a generous Jesus to be generous. We have the DNA of Jesus. We were made to be generous. That's why Paul said it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's why people love Christmas, right? Because it's a time of giving. Does it feel better to get the gifts or to give the gifts? Most of the time, it feels better to give the gifts, doesn't it? Because you were hardwired to be generous. It's who we were meant to be as disciples of Jesus. And let me say this too. This type of generosity goes beyond an act of giving. We're not just talking about writing a check every once in a while. This becomes a way of living for the follower of Jesus. It's about living life in relationship with God. It's about receiving everything with gratitude from God. And then it's about opening up your hands and blessing the world with everything God's given you. It's a life of open-handed obedience, just like Jesus lived that kind of life. Is it, is it easy? No. But do you find joy in it? Yes. I love this quote to sum up these first two points. Randy Alcorn says, if you stare at Jesus long enough, you'll become a giver. 
And if you give long enough, you'll become more like Christ. You stare at Jesus long enough, it'll melt your heart and you'll become a giver. And the more you give, the more you become like him. That's the whole goal of what discipleship is, to become more like Jesus. And that's what he offers us. So let me sum up this. Generosity starts with God. We looked at that, the generous God. It flows through generous disciples. And I'll end with this. It overflows through generous churches. It overflows through generous churches. It's what we saw in this beautiful picture in the church of Acts. If one disciple goes out and practices generosity, that's fine, right? That's a good thing. But when you aggregate a group of disciples together and they're living generously within community, that's when it overflows. That's when it overflows. You know, and one of the things that historians said about the early church is that when the plagues hit the cities in the Roman times, like back in the Roman times, when plagues hit the cities, everybody in the city would flee because you wanted to get out of the city to protect your life. And the Christians were the only group who would stay behind and minister to people in the cities, even at risk of their own lives. Because they were a community that was overflowing with the grace of God, was overflowing with the example of a generous Jesus. Can we not learn some things from them today? When a global pandemic happens, what is our response? Are we closed-fisted and protected or are we open-handed and willing to serve? It's difficult. It's not easy, but this is the model that this early church gave us. You could say that this first church is a wonderful example of sharing life together in Christ. You ever heard that phrase before? That's what the early church was. That's why we did we greater than me. Because if you take it individually, it's okay. But if you collectively come together and purpose to live the generosity of God out in Murfreesboro and around the world, that's when it overflows. It's together. Think about generosity. It always takes two people. There's a giver and a receiver, right? Generosity can't help in isolation. It always is a, it's a, a context of relationship. What the church is, is a context of relationship. It's the net. It's the network. It's a context of relationships where we get to follow a generous God and serve others both inside and outside the church. And let me tell you, guys, I wanna celebrate because I started looking at how you demonstrate this idea of whole life generosity inside fellowship. First of all, I've been in your homes for the last five years and your hospitality is amazing. I've come to love some of the people that we get to hang out with. And I hope they love me and I'm not sure yet, but I love them. You know, you are hospitable. I was reading some of the cards out front where you listed about how you've been generous too and how you've experienced generosity and how you've given generosity. And this is, I wrote down a couple. I have been blessed with amazing friends who never let me and my baby go without or go through anything alone. This last year was hard. They were always there. Overflowing generosity. My dad has helped me do all my homework and made one of my hardest subjects make more sense. Overflowing generosity. Many acts of kindness and grace were given to me while going through cancer treatments. Meals, prayers, visits, encouraging cards, overflowing generosity. We had someone pay our house payment when my husband was laid off. We were given a vacation this past summer. You love one another, not perfectly. We're not perfect. 
but you're committed to one another. And there's a hundred of these stories that have been written out of how people have experienced and given generosity. That's the collective power of the church of Jesus Christ at work, and you demonstrate it. Now, can we go deeper? Yes. Are we ever going to arrive? No. <laughs> we'll always work on this, but you guys are doing it. Then I looked at how outside fellowship, and I saw Larry and Elise with disaster relief, Project Linus with the knitting of the blankets for the kids at Vanderbilt. I saw Dan and Angela on the fuel team. I saw Sean in the dollar club that we saw. This is a picture of an overflowing church. This is a sign. This is a picture of the church at its best. Over the last 2,000 years, when the church has been at its best is when the church is open-handed together. And that's what the purpose of this series has been, to teach us how to be open-handed together. Fellowship, I celebrate God's work among you. I celebrate what God's doing through you. Yes, we can go deeper and farther, but I celebrate God's generosity among you and what it looks like in this church. So to hang it all together, if you really wanna know the key to generosity and this idea of whole life generosity, it's really simple. It's generous God, generous disciples, a generous church. It's a generous God, it's generous disciples, and it's generous church. That's what we're talking about. That's what we've been diving into. So I wanna encourage you as I leave to be generous in your prayers. I wanna encourage you as I leave to be generous in your presence. I wanna encourage you to be generous in your gifts, to be generous in your service, to be generous in your witness, and to be generous together. And let me tell you, the final verse, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, one of my favorite passages, it's driven me for 18 years. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Don't you love the way the... Don't you love the way God provides richly? It says, command them to do good, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up a treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age when we get to be with God so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for us. I want us to be generous and willing to share together in community so that we may take hold of the life that is truly life, amen? Amen, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are the model and the motivator of generosity, that it all starts with you. It's your nature, it's who you are, and we are the recipients of your great love and your great generosity. And so we praise you together as your people. We thank you that you made us to be generous disciples. We're made in the image of Jesus, and I pray that we would grow more and more to be like Jesus. And then I pray together as a community, we would be like that first church in Acts 4. We would be a church where there's no needy among us or outside of us. And that you would use us for the healing of your land. Father, thank you for these people. Would you bless them in everything they do? Would you establish the work of their hands for your glory and for their good? In Jesus' name, amen.